How many people have your Bible today? If you have your Bible, stand up and raise it above your head. Beautiful, beautiful. What a testimony of God's Word. You may be seated, please. Turn, if you will, please, to the book of John, chapter 13. John, chapter 13. The simplicity of a children's sermon, where we talk about getters and givers, is the same thing that we as adults have a hard time managing. Today, as we look at what God's Word says, my prayer is that we'll be able to understand exactly what Jesus was trying to show us. I pray that it'll change our lives. I pray that our hearts and our minds change so that we can go out and we can represent what He wants us to do. Understand that we're living in a a difficult time today. I hear a lot of people talk about what they're not getting. You don't have to do anything but turn on the TV and you'll see someone campaigning about something that they're not getting. I should get this. I have a right to get this. We need to get this. I'm entitled to this. We need to get this. It seems as if I'm growing up in a world of getters. And I began to think, as the Lord was laying this even upon my heart in the last several weeks, I began to think, if everything continues to follow this trend, and you have this many more getters than you have givers, then the system will break. Because you can't have getters if you don't have what? And then the opposite happens. Those that realize they need to be givers begin to give and see those that are getters begin to get and keep getting but never become givers so the givers begin to resent anybody that's a getter. Has that happened to anybody in here? Has that happened to anybody in here? No, because if we're a giver, we expect somebody to be a getter and then a giver. And then we expect them to be a giver to the getter and then the getter to be a giver. We're going to talk about getters and givers. Givers and getters today. Last week we talked about God's standard. How many people remember that? We learned that God has a standard we learned that this standard was what we're supposed to live by. We learned that the, the common definition of, of standard is a model to be followed or imitated, a degree of quality, a level of achievement. We also learned that the standard in the Old Testament time was the flag, the banner that stood over the camp that you were supposed to identify with, whether it was the children of Israel or whether it was a, a military force that you were being called to. And even today we use that standard. Each branch of service marches to that standard, that banner, and they assemble under it. Understand God's standard is what we're always supposed to assemble under. If we assemble under His standard, then we're identified as His. Right? In saying that, Realize that there is a standard that God gave us of how we should live as Christians, and our standard is the life of Jesus Christ. He is our standard. That's why believers are called Christians. Christian means Christ like. We should say, like Christ. We're supposed to follow Jesus' example. His life is our standard. In John chapter 13, we have verse 15 where Jesus spoke and said, For I have given you an example. He set the standard. I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Do you see those last two words? To you. It became personal. He did something to the disciples. He's talking to the disciples. Do you realize that if you're a child of God, if you're a believer, if you've accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you are a disciple? He's telling you this same thing. I have given you this example that you should do as I have done to you. It's important, those words. So today as we look at John 13, we'll see the example that Jesus set, that He said we should follow. As I told you before, I want to talk today about givers and getters. Say it with me. Again. Tell the person to your left. Other left. 
We're going to need to get out the magic marker and write those L's and R's on, on our hands, aren't we? Right? By definition, a, a giver is a person who gives something, one that gives. How many people accept that definition? By definition, a getter is a person or thing that gets a specific or specified desirable thing, one that gets. How many people accept that definition? Seems pretty simple, seems pretty common. Let me read to you how this is applied in John chapter 13, verse 1 through 15. We know this story as the story that happened before Jesus went to the cross. They were at the Last Supper. They were assembled around the table. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour was come, that He should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved His own which were in the world, He loved them unto the end. It says He loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. Now Jesus, knowing that the Father had given him all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. And after that he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that he was girded. Then cometh to... Then he cometh to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. And Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit, and you are clean, but not all. For he knew what should... He knew who should betray him. Therefore said he, you're not all clean. Who was in the group? Judas was in the group. So after he had washed their feet and taken his, and taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, know ye, know ye what I have done to you. He is saying here, do you know what just happened? He said this because Peter went off on another tangent. Lord, listen, I'm going to express my humility. You can't wash my feet. And he said, I must wash your feet. And he said, well, then wash all of me. And Jesus said, it's not about washing all of you. I'm going to wash all of you in your blood. It's about washing your feet. So we're not even going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about this other part. I saw something in here that I thought was, was magnificent. It was beautiful. It was way down in the marrow of the Scripture. It was when you get below the surface. It was something that we were able to see in a picture that's shown to us that tells us about getters and givers. I want you to understand today that he begins in this first verse by saying, He loved them unto the end. What does that mean? That means that He showed them the extent of His love. Jesus at this point was getting ready to die. He had lived 33 years of sinless life here. That is an accomplishment. We're saved by His sinless life. Those times that we failed to be obedient to God, when we were tempted of the devil to think this or think that or do this or do that, those times when we were tempted in those ways and we gave to temptation or we were selfish or we were lazy or we didn't do what God wanted us to do, in those times when we wanted something for ourselves and we failed to that temptation, He never did it. He lived 33 years of a sinless life. But get this, after that, He knew. He said, I came from God. I'm going back to God. He knew he came. He knew he was going back. Through all this, knowing he was going to die on the cross, he would be that person within hours that would be mocked, ridiculed. We talk about somebody getting their feelings hurt. I hear this phrase more than anything, that really hurt my feelings. They were going to spit in his face. They were going to mock him. They were going to put a crown of thorns on his head and excruciating pain was going to go through him till the blood matted his eyes up and he couldn't see. They were going to beat the meat off of his back and they were going to parade him down, strip his clothes off, put him up on a cross to ridicule him and let him be crucified. Wasn't that enough? He lived a sinless life and he was going to die. No, it wasn't enough. The extent of his love said at this point, I need to wash feet. Pretty big deal. How many times do we hit that level of what we're willing to give and say, I think I've given enough? Mm -hmm. 
something interesting I want you to see. I want to focus on a couple of verses here. Verse 2 and 3, supper had ended. Jesus knew the Father had given all things into His hands. He came from God. He was going back to God. He had given everything to God. He knew God was going to give everything to Him. Knowing all this, what did He want to do? He wanted to give something else. Was Jesus a giver? Verse 4 and 5, He riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel, girded himself. After that he poured water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and wiped them with the towel wherewith he was girded. We need to understand something here. Jesus was their Master and Lord. It was not his job to wash feet. It's the servant's job to wash feet. In that day and age, as they traveled in sandals on dusty roads, one of the things that you would do is have your servant make sure they washed the person's feet that came into the house. It was a show of humility. You know, we're okay to wash our own feet. But I want to talk about this foot washing here. You say, hey, I wonder if he's going to call somebody out of the audience and wash their feet. It's not going to happen today. <laughs> you say, oh, well, I've seen that and it works so good. Well, well, maybe it would, but I'd rather talk to you about what's going on behind the scenes. Let's talk about washing feet a minute. Do you realize we don't have a problem washing our own feet? Now, now go with me where I'm going here. How many people wash their feet every day? Please, everybody, raise your hand. Right? <laughs> I start from the top and I end up at my feet. As a matter of hygiene, you need to do it the same way. Don't start at your feet and end up at the top. Doesn't work that way. We have gravity as our friend, right? So understand, we wash our feet. Can I tell you something? Besides this morning when I knew what I was going to preach, I don't even think about washing my feet. I wash them just because I'm comfortable. I wash them because I want them to be clean, right? I wash them. But I will guarantee you, if I had to wash your feet, I would think about it long and hard. It's comfortably comfortable for me to wash my own feet, but it's not comfortable for us to wash somebody else's feet. You get what I'm putting down here. We have to step out of our comfort zone to wash somebody else's feet. I don't think twice about it because they're mine, but if they were yours, even though they're yours and maybe you've taken care of them, still I would think about having to do it and afterwards I would think about what I did. Why? Because I'm not comfortable washing your feet. And you're not comfortable. Jesus was showing here that even though He was the Lord, He was the Master, He was willing to give of Himself. He was willing to serve them. He explained this in verses 12 through 15. When we read this, listen to what He says. He says, So after He had washed their feet and taken His garments, He was set down again. He said unto them, Know ye what I've done to you? Basically saying, Do you know what just happened? Because Peter missed it. Peter was saying, okay, Lord, listen, you won't wash my feet. I'm going to recognize you here as master. You won't wash my feet. And, and then he said, no, then if you're going to wash that, wash all of me. And he said, do you know what I just did? Let me tell you what I just did. Now listen to these verses. He said, I did this because I'm your master. You call me master and Lord, and you say, well, you say, well, that means, yeah, you are right. I am your master and Lord. If then your master and Lord have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. He was giving an example as he said in verse 15, for I've given you an example. How much clearer can it be that you should do as I have done to you? Does he expect us to do what he had done to the disciples? Yes. And it doesn't have anything to do with literally washing feet. As Christians, we're supposed to be disciples, followers. So this example is for us to follow. Jesus is saying, you are supposed to serve one another because you've been given my heart of love. You see, it would be easier for me to wash someone's feet that I love and care for than it would be a stranger. I didn't have any problem 
washing my kids' feet. I didn't. There's a love there that's there, and but it would be different to wash someone that had a different degree of love. Or is it just me? Is it the same way with you? Right? So I want you to get into what he's saying here. You see, it's the love of God that we're given when we get saved. When you accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you're given the love of God. That should make us want to give ourselves to serve others. He goes on to say later on in the end of this chapter, trying to sum all of this up in verse 34 and 35, after he's washed the feet, he says this. Listen to verse 34 and 35. A new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. What is he telling us to do? Love one another. Now listen to what he says. By this, by your show of love, by your uncomfortable sacrifice of service, by this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you love one another, if you have love one to another. Do you know that we're identified as his by our acts of love to one another? Did you hear what I read? By this shall all men know. I give you this new commandment that you love one another. By this shall all men know. We're identified by what we do that represents him. Why is it important that we're identified? Well, listen, if you were to read what Paul said in Galatians 5, 13 and 14, you can put this on your notes, but I want to read you these verses. Pretty awesome. He says, For brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. What is he saying? Well, he goes on to say this, For the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Our liberty is our salvation. You have been called to liberty. Our liberty is our freedom from bondage, freedoms from sin. Amen? Anybody been freed from sin? Anybody been freed from the penalty of sin? Anybody happy that you're not going to hell? Anybody happy that you're going to heaven? You've been freed. Do you deserve hell? Yes. Do you get it? If you've been freed? No. You're, you're not in bondage to that sin. Your sin had you doomed. Your sin had you damned. The Bible says we're condemned by our sin, but we've been freed. Okay. We've been set at liberty, and here's what he says. He says, you've been called unto liberty, only use not that liberty. Use not your salvation as an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. We're not supposed to use this salvation. Anybody in here been saved? Do you realize you're not supposed to use your salvation as something to serve yourself only? This is pretty heavy. Get this. We were not called to salvation to serve our own flesh. It's not an occasion to serve the flesh. We were called to salvation to show the love of Jesus by serving someone else. Our salvation is not just an opportunity for us to get. It's an opportunity for us to give. We're not just called to just be getters. We're called to be givers. Jesus served us with his life and his death. He calls us to receive His service and then to serve others. He calls us to receive His love and then to serve love. He calls us to Him to get His love, and then once we get it, He calls us to give His love. He wants us to be a getter, but then He expects us to be a giver. There was a time when I heard that I was lost, I realized I was a sinner. I realized the only way that I could get to God was to accept by belief that Jesus Christ died for my sins. At that point, I realized that if I were to accept the promise that God had made and accept Jesus as my Savior, give Him this confession of faith that was heartfelt that said, I'm a sinner, I'm sorry I'm a sinner, I've sinned against you, I recognize my guilt. Please forgive me. Be my Lord and Savior. At that time, I said that so that I could get what he was willing to give. Are you with me? So he wants me to get, but he expects me to give to get. Now, if I were to say that I didn't have my own 
best interest in mind when I got saved, I would be lying to you. I got saved because I realized I was separated from God and my best interest was to be attached to God. I got saved because I didn't want to go to hell and I realized my best interest was to go to heaven. So yes, I had that in mind. But if I stayed a getter, then do you realize the cycle would have stopped? The getter that gets salvation has to turn into a giver or the cycle of getting stops. I get, and when I get that salvation, I'm called to give. And when I give from what he's given me, then somebody else gets. And when they get, they're called to give. And when they give, somebody else gets. And when they get, then they give. And when they give, somebody else gets. And then when they get, they give. And when they give, somebody else gets. We could do this until time to go home today. But do you realize that if we stop giving, nobody else gets? We're not called to get just for our flesh. I'm called to get so that Pete can get. And Pete's called to get so that Ernest can get. And Ernest is called to get so that Dawn can get. But nobody gets if nobody gives. So let's go back to the table, can we? I saw some beautiful things I want to show you. Let's go back to that table. Let's go to the upper room. Let's gather around the table. Who's at the table? All 12 of those disciples, right? They had found the place. You've read it before. And they knew the place. And they assembled up there. And they had the meal. And all this was done. And and Jesus broke the bread. And he talked to them. And listen, there were some that before then they had discussions between them. Some of the disciples wanted to know, who's going to be closest to me in my kingdom? What is going to happen here? Hey, am I going to be beside of you? Who's your favorite disciple? What's going to happen here? Will we be given this? He set them down at the table. And he gave them this meal. And he told them, listen, uh, you have to take my, my, my flesh and drink uh, this cup that represents the blood I'll shed for you. And then, and then supper was ended. So I want you to pull up a chair at the table, okay? Get your mind there. Get it off of whatever it's on. Get at the table. I read in verse 4 that he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. Do you read that? Well, let me tell you what we're being shown here because it's more than just this scene that you have a painting in your house of these people that are sitting here it's more listen the thing that happened at the last supper happened after the supper don't miss it he riseth I love it he riseth from supper you ever had supper I didn't even know it was called dinner until I got a little more educated We grew up in a place where it was supper. When somebody said, hey, we're going to have dinner here, I say, I had it at lunchtime. That's when you have dinner. He rises from what? Supper. We call it the last supper. He rises from supper. And, well, let me just ask you, have you ever been called to supper, anybody? Supper's ready. So when you get called to supper, you come and you sit down at what? At the table. Right? And then at supper time, you sit at the table and what do you do? Eat. Right? That's what supper is all about. It's when we gather together at the table and eat. But we see here, he riseth from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel. I want you to understand the first point. Jesus was giving us an example of what we should do. He was showing us how to serve. He was showing us how to be a giver. The first thing that you have to do is get up from the table. Do you realize when you sit at the supper table, as long as you sit there, you sit there as a getter. When he got up from the supper table, he sat there as a getter, he he riseth up as a giver. The first thing that we have to realize in the the getting and giving is we've got to get up from the table at some point if you want to give. We can't just stay at the table and expect to get. We need to get up out of our comfortable place to start giving. Supper table is a comfortable place, right? As long as I'm at the supper table, I have my agenda in place, I will guarantee you, right? As long as I'm there, I'm eating, I'm relaxing, I'm comfortable. 
But do you know at some point in time, somebody has to rise up and do the dishes. Somebody has to rise up and put something away. The getters are not usually the ones that rise up. The givers are the ones that rise up. If you stay at the table, the only person that you can serve is yourself. Oh, did you hear that? If you're the person that stays at the table, if you're the getter, you're the person that's concerned about what you're getting, have you ever seen someone sit down at the table and it's been all about what they're getting, right? Don't eat all of that. Why? I plan on getting, I plan on getting my point. I grew up with two brothers. It was all about getting. Selfish people don't want to serve anyone but themselves. Now you know by now we're not talking about a literal table in life, but he gives us this table as a picture. The person that stays at the table can't serve anyone but themselves. They're the selfish person. You say, well, I go to the table and I don't serve myself. So you've never been acquainted with a fork and spoon, have you? Isn't that what you use at the table? Who are you serving? Who are you serving? Who are you serving? You make sure, right? How bad would it be to sit at the table and not serve yourself? Well, I've given everybody everything. We always serve ourselves. If you stay at the table, listen, I've stayed at the table before and everything that I could reach, I was reaching to me. I even like the little things that spin where it'll come back around to me and I can keep serving myself, right? But at the table, the only person you can serve is yourself. You have to get up from the table to serve someone else. You see, a selfish person has an agenda that's based on their getting, not their giving. Every relationship that we have in this world, every relationship that we have is based on our willingness to be an unselfish giver. Do you know that? I do a lot of relationship counseling, whether it be husband, wife, parent, child, friend to friend, church member to church member. Do you realize that in that relationship, There has to be a giver. If you have in that relationship two getters, you will never have a good relationship. Do you realize in that relationship, if you have a getter and a giver, you say, well, that will work. It will only work. And I need to tell you, this will only work for a limited amount of time. Because at some point in time, the person that's giving resents that the the other person will not give but only takes. A giver starts to fleshly wonder why they're the one having to give and the other one always gets, and then it becomes resentful. And that resentment, even though it's hidden in there, it festers. I think the only way that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you have a relationship that will work is if you've got two givers. That's what I've seen. But do you realize that the giver is not always the giver? The giver can be the getter, but then they need to go back to being the giver. If the giver becomes the getter, they need to go back to being the giver because the other one needs to be the getter. Do you understand? But two people can't have the mindset agenda of being the getter or the relationship will fail. Do you realize that If you have someone who has an agenda of just being a getter, you're not going to have a good relationship with them. I don't care whether it's husband, wife, parent, child, friend to friend, even co-worker. Even in our jobs, you know the people that are just getters and you know those that are givers, don't you? Do you begin to resent the getter? Normal. Especially for us givers, right? We have a limit to what we'll give. Jesus had no limit to what he would give, did he? I'm going to die for you. I'm going to be punished for you. I'm going to be persecuted for you. I'm going to be mocked for you. But I'm willing to wash your feet. You see, this is true, especially in our relationship with the Lord after we're saved. You see, we don't need to stay at the table and try to be the next to get. We need to get up from the table so that we can be the next to give. 
it's, it's as if we keep telling and preaching the same message. Listen, this is what God wants to give you. And Hey, come here. You can get this for yourself, and you need to get this. It's going to make you uh, closer to God, and it's going to make you. And it's like even as Christians, we begin to think, I'm doing this because this is what I'm going to get. And if I'm obedient, I'm going to get blessings. And if I, if I do this, then God's going to give me this, and I'm going to get, and I'm going to get. We can even as Christians be motivated just to give because of what we think we're going to get, can't we? Let's be honest. I want to say my prayer because I want God to give me this. Well, then, man, we're being a giver just so we can be a getter. Right? You ever think about these kind of things? What do you think he's trying to get across to us? Well, there's several things here. You see, Jesus is teaching this because this is the only way that someone can realize their value. Now, now stay with me on this because I see that today this is a big subject that we need to get right. The Bible gives us an example of not just how we should be, how our families should be, and how society should be. Do you know that? God instituted society. Today, do you realize that your value is related to what you give, not what you get? It's related to what you give, not what you get. You get somebody that's just a getter, and you take them out of the equation, are they missed? No. That means they had no value. Take somebody that's a giver out of your equation, are they missed? Yes, because they had value. Do it in the workplace application. How is your value related? By what you're willing to get? No. It's, re it's related value by what you're willing to what? It's like that everywhere. It's always been like that. Now stay with me here because what's happened is we've missed this generationally. We are called to train the next generation to be a generation of givers, not a generation of getters. And the generation before us was called to train us to be a generation of givers, not a generation of just getters. Consider this. I began to think. Now, in my lifetime, I've had the opportunity to to have pets and, and to be able to, to train a horse or train a dog. So let's take that puppy that you're trying to train. Anybody ever try to train a puppy? So I take that puppy and I have that puppy treat that that puppy loves and will do anything in the world for, right? And that puppy is dying to get that puppy treat. So I tell that puppy, all right, I take his paw and I put it in my hand. I say, hey, howdy, shake, shake, give me, give me howdy, right? After a while, he realizes, okay, I'm taking his hand. But then once we do that, I put it down and I give him that treat, right? And then I do it again, pit it up, and he puts his hand there. And before long, we start doing that, and then I give him a treat. And then I say, sit, sit. And then I push his tail down, and he sits there on the, the ground. And after he sit, I give him something. When he gets up, I say, uh-uh, no, you got to sit down. When he sits, I give him that, right? So I get him to be able to give me a response, give me obedience. And if you give me obedience, what do I give you? A reward, right? Your value is related to what you're willing to give, not by what you're willing to get. If you want to try this another way, then have that snack and have your puppy come up and give that puppy that thing and then sit there and say, sit, has anyone ever trained, successfully trained an animal that way? No. No. Because the, the award, the reward comes after. The value comes after the giving. You say, how does this apply? Understand, we used to give trophies and awards because someone had given their time or effort or service. Now we give awards even if someone doesn't give anything because we think it builds up their self-esteem. We want them to know they're going to get something even though they haven't given anything. Well, let me tell you a little about self-esteem. Self-esteem comes from how much value a person thinks they have. Self-esteem is not something that comes from how much a person thinks they get. Self-esteem means I know that I make a difference. I have value. Why do I make a difference? Because I'm willing to give. Are you with me? Value is based on what we're giving, not what we're getting. 
And when society begins to get it backwards, and every time you turn around, you have somebody that's running around saying, listen, we deserve to get this, and we deserve to get this, and we deserve to get this, but they're not giving anything, they're skewing the system. And when one generation accepts it, and the next generation accepts it, you get a society of getters, and you've lost the givers. And then the givers that are giving to the getters, they get resentful, and from that, you've got tension. That's what we've got. And all this, Jesus said, I give you an example to follow, right? That you serve one another. You see, he got up from the table, and we know we have to do that first, but he got up from the table, and then it says, he laid aside his garments, and he took a towel, and he girded himself. What does it mean, his garment? Well, he had his eating clothes on. He had his eating clothes on. You saw how Jesus was dressed, you can imagine. His eating clothes, and he, he had the, the covering. And Well, that was good to eat in because you're reclined and you're relaxed and you can eat. But it's not really something that you can wash feet in. What's going to happen? The sleeves are going to get all wet. They're going to get in the way. He had to remove. It says he laid aside his garments, right? And he girded himself with a towel. You say, what does this mean? Well, understand something. Our garment, our garment basically is what we're clothed in. You know what my life is clothed in? I won't guess yours. You know what my life is clothed in? My life is clothed in my agenda. And so is yours. Your whole life, what you're going to do today, what you're going to do tomorrow, what you expect to do this week, what you expect to happen if you do this is your agenda. Your whole life is patterned after your agenda. It's clothed in your agenda. You realize if you want to be a giver, if you want to be able to do the example, if you want to be able to pass on the giving, if you want to be able to represent Jesus, do you realize at some point in time you have to put your agenda aside? You have to clothe yourself like a servant that says, I am not doing this for me. I'm doing this for someone else. We have to get up from the place of getting. We have to take off our getting agenda and take a towel and clothe ourselves in the agenda to serve. We can't just get up from the table and expect us to have someone to serve. If I'm going to serve someone, I need to look to see who I'm going to serve. You say, well, does that mean I need to scour the map and see what country I need to go to as a missionary? No, the first place you can do is look inside of your marriage or your home. There's things to be served in there. Amen? Amen. The first thing you can do is look inside of your own relationships that you have. The people that you're around, that's the first place you can serve, but you'd have to lay aside your agenda. Not, I'm wanting to get, not what's best for me. But how can I serve? You see, this is true especially in our relationship with the Lord after we're saved. Do you realize that we don't need to stay at the table and try to be the next to get? We're called to be that next to give? Get this. I think it's pretty awesome. When he says we have to to gird ourselves, do you realize you have to gird yourself to be a giver? You have to clothe yourself to be a giver? You have to clothe him. You have to clothe yourself with his agenda. People are not going to walk up to you and say, Hey, I am here and you're supposed to serve me. Even though we see more of that today, you won't find your area of service until you clothe yourself to find it. It says, After this, he poured the water in the basin and began to wash his disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. After we rise up from the table of getting, the next thing we need to do, it seems obvious, but we need to serve. A lot of us get to this point to where we say, okay, we're going to get up from the table. We've sat here and we've gotten. Do you know why you come in here and get? You don't come in here and get with Bible study and get with marriage counseling and get with, with, with this Bible study. You don't get so that you can just say it's for me. You get so that you can get up and give. At some point in time, you get up from the table and you clothe yourself with an agenda that doesn't just benefit you, but it benefits somebody else. And at that point, you go out with that agenda. Here's the next point. You have to do it. You can't just think, I need to do it. You have to do it. 
Here's what I'm going to do. I know I need to go, and I know I need to witness to this friend group that I'm around. I know that I need to, and I've got it, and I've sat at the table. I know I'm saved, and I have these friends. I know I need to do it. Some point, you got to do it. But this is beautiful, and I don't know that I ever saw this, but it's beautiful. I want you to watch what he did. You see, he asked us to serve, not half-hearted, but we need to serve with attention to detail. You say, what are you talking about? And I thought, you know, I just about shouted when I was up there because I don't think that I ever saw it this way, but then God made it so clear. It said, after he poured the water into the basin, he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Now, now get this, because I want you, are you at the table? Right? And he's washing feet. He got it from the table. Listen, Jesus got it from the table and he took his outer garment off and he put a towel around him as an apron and he washed their feet. You say, well, yeah, we get that. He washed their feet. But no, it, it goes into detail. See, it's one thing if we just read it at the surface, but dig in. He washed their feet. But look what it's careful to tell us. After he washed their feet, it says he took the towel that he had girded himself with and he dried their feet. You say, is that a big deal? Now, come on with me, okay? It is one thing, even as uncomfortable as it is for me, to wash your feet, to be there. But if I know I'm in water and I'm washing it, it's one thing. It's another thing to pick it up and put it on my lap and dry out from in between the, the crevice and the toe and make sure your feet is completely dry. That's completely personal, isn't it? When you dry feet, it's a whole lot different act than washing feet where the water is at. You've got down with it and you said, let me dry it up. There was an attention to detail. He didn't just serve and say, I'll wash it. He took it and said, I will do it to the best of my ability to this extent, the extent of my love, not just to put some water on your feet, but to get down with it and get in it and make sure that every little thing I thought that was beautiful and then I saw something else that it just struck me you see the next thing we need to know is is about how we're supposed to be a giver you see it's all about the process here of giving we know Jesus was a giver. We know we're supposed to be a giver. But he was doing this so that he could be an example of the process. I want you to notice something. Do you realize that we can't just choose certain people that we want to serve because it will benefit us? We've learned that we can't just serve to serve ourselves, or we've never left the table because we can serve ourselves at the table. But we can't just give because we know we're going to get. There's some people that only give when they know that the person they're giving to is the person that's going to give back to them. It's like giving to get. Can I get a witness? You know people like that? What's in it for me? You see, we shouldn't just serve God because of what we think He's going to give us. If we do, then we're just being givers because we want to be getters. You think God would know if we're just being givers because we want to be getters? You think that would show him the extent of our love? You know, he promises me if I show him the extent of my love that he's going to give me not just fellowship, but blessings, companionship, provision. Like, I'm going to get if I give for the right reason. But sometimes we get to be those people that give just to those people that we think we can get back from. And then I saw something, even though it's been there, and, and it's been right in front of us. I want you to consider something here. Consider something. We can't just serve the people who we think we're going to give back to us. Why? Jesus washed Judas's feet. You ever think about that? Jesus didn't just wash his disciples' feet. Judas washed, or Jesus washed Judas's feet. Read it in the order it happens. He washed their feet and then he said, Judas, go do what you need to do. You mean to tell me at the point in time when Jesus was washing feet, Judas came to him. He was washing and drying and showing love to Judas even though he knew at that time Judas was going to betray him because Judas was a getter. Judas was going to say, here's where you can find him. Judas was fake. Judas wasn't real. Judas was going to be responsible for his torment, his pain. He was against Jesus. 
Jesus, but yet Jesus washed his feet. That's heavy, isn't it? You ever thought about that? But yet you and me, we figure, okay, we'll give to this person if there's something we can get back. We have to be willing to give even if it's somebody that we can't see will give us anything back. You say, why? That's against my natural character. Exactly, it is. Because God will use it in one of three ways. They will know that you know they're against them, and he will, they will, God will use that to convict them, to bring them to salvation, or to use this as a judgment against them. Don't stop God from doing what he's going to do. Do you know that some of the acts that we do, we do them because God calls us to do it. Nothing's going to happen from that getter standpoint, but that will be used in judgment against that getter. Was that too heavy? You getting what he's giving? You see, we need to realize that none of us are worthy enough to receive the blessings of God. Do you realize that? The Bible says there's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There's none of us that are worthy to receive the blessings of God. There are none of us that are worthy enough to be getters. The love of God that He shows to us lets us be able to get what Jesus was willing to give. So we have to have the same mind as a giver. And I want to explain that. You see, before we can be a getter of the most first and simple thing, how many people know that in order to have a relationship with God, you must be born again? Didn't Jesus say that, right? Before you can receive the ultimate blessings of God, which is eternal life, you must be born again. You must be saved. There has to be a time when you've believed and accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior. Well, understand this. Before you can get the salvation that Jesus is willing to give you, you have to give something. You can't be a getter until you give something. You say, no, it's a free gift. No, it requires you to give Him your trust and belief. It requires you to give him this admission of guilt. It requires you to give him this apology and recognition of who he is. And it requires you to give him this plea for forgiveness. And it requires you to give him this request of salvation. Be my Lord and Savior. You see, you can't get the first thing until God sees that you're willing to step outside and give him. For me to say that I am wrong, I can't save myself, that is something to give. I have to give it to God, right? God, I've been wrong. I can't save myself. I need Jesus. I want to give you my heart. When we say, I want to give you my heart, the first thing you have to give to God to get his salvation, you have to give your heart. Your heart is your innermost place, the innermost, most secret place. It's where your trust, your love, everything is. It's your soul. You have to give it. And most people stop right there. As Christians, yes, praise God, I've given him my heart. I gave my heart to Jesus. It happened on June the 2nd, 1976. I can remember where I was at. Not everybody can, but I'm just saying. I gave my heart to Jesus. What does that mean? I'm right with God. I'm going to heaven. Do you realize that there's something that happens or has to happen after you give your heart to Jesus and get his salvation? You say, isn't the giving over then? Unfortunately, a lot of people who've given their heart to Christ think that. They think they're going to from then on be getters of God's blessings. They stop giving because they've given their belief and they've gotten salvation. What we fail to realize is that our future blessings after we're saved that God wants us to get depend on if we're givers of our time, givers of our obedience to His Word, givers of our faithfulness to Him, givers of our resources. Basically, the way we serve him is the way we give. It's the way we give. You might think, well, okay, I've been waiting on it. We've been talking. We had a whole message about givers and getters. And he said resources. He's going to start talking about my money. Here's what you need to give. When's the last time you heard me ask you for any money? 
You haven't. You know why? I don't need your money. The church doesn't need your money, and God doesn't need your money. Can you believe you heard that in church? Absolutely. You know what he needs? He needs your service. He needs your heart. He needs you to give him sincerely your heart. If you give him sincerely your heart and you see what you get and you feel the presence of the Holy Spirit, I won't have to tell you what else you need to give. You'll know what you need to give. God can operate what he wants to operate without your money. So I'm not going to harp on it. I want to talk to you about the greater things, the blessings that God has for you. I know people that have money that don't have peace. I know people that have money that don't have a relationship. I know people that have money that don't have fellowship. I know people that have money that don't have protection. They don't have the provision of the Lord. They don't have a peaceful mind. They don't have confidence. They live in worry. They live in fear. They live in anxiety. They can't buy it. What he needs from you is intangible. He needs you to be a giver of what you've given. He's given you. What did He give you? He gave you love. Love. When you read 1 Corinthians 13, it tells you love is not selfish. Selfish people don't serve. Love keeps no record of wrongs. You see, we seem to forget this covenant, and Jesus explained it to us in Luke 6.38. Maybe you remember it sounded something like this, give, and it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. Shall men give into your bosom, for with the same measure you meet, with all it shall be measured to you again. You know what God's principle is? What does He want you to get out of that? He's saying, first of all, give so that it can be given to you. What is He saying? If you want to be a getter, you need to be a what? And if you're a giver, I'm going to make sure that you're a what? How simple is that principle? But we, what we forget is, He said, with the same measure you give, the same measure you meet, it shall be measured unto you. So whatever kind of giver you are, of your time, your faithfulness, your obedience, your unselfishness to God, that's what kind of getter you're going to be. If you find yourself as a Christian continually struggling, not knowing direction, then you can understand God's willing to let you be a getter of His instruction, His provision, His protection, His relationship, His faithfulness, His companionship. But I would question, how can I be a getter if I'm not giving? Because the same measure that I give is the measure that I'm going to get. What does it tell me here? It tells me that Jesus is saying, God's doing the measuring, not us. Jesus explains to us in this covenant that our getting is dependent on our giving. You see, it could be financial, but there's so many more important blessings that are so much more valuable than money. When I think about peace of mind or security or companionship or health or provision or protection or confidence or happiness or forgiveness. There's people that are unwilling to give forgiveness. Guess what you're not going to get? With the same measure you give, it will be meted unto you. That's heavy, isn't it? You see, God's saying that we're all called to give to Him by giving to each other. You say, how can I give all this to God? You know, my act of service is not for me to go out in this field and say, God, I'm out in this field to give to you. Do you realize my giving can't start until somebody else walks in that field with me? How do I give to God? Well, let me take you back to, to John 13, 15. I did this as an example. So that you can serve one another as I have served you. So serve one another, right? Do you realize my service to God is my service to you? Your service to God is your service to somebody else? Your service to God is your service to somebody else? I serve God by my faithfulness to Him. That's when I come to the table. 
That's when he feeds me. That's when he restores me. That's when he gives me that. But for me to get up from that, do you realize if I sit at the table, if you sit in here and you get what, what you can get in here and you sit at the table and sit at the table and you learn all this stuff, but you don't get up and, and give it away, then you've stayed at the table. You haven't got up. You haven't clothed yourself in his agenda. You haven't put the towel around you. You haven't washed and you haven't dried in detail. And you sure haven't washed anybody's feet that you knew you weren't going to get something from. So are you a giver? You see, sadly, inside of us, we want to be getters. We're motivated by getting. But an amazing thing happens. You know, I don't know that I could have told you this happens, but I know that Paul made this statement. He said, I've shown you all things. This is Acts 20, verse 35. Listen. He said, I've shown you all things. He was talking to the Ephesian elders. How that's so laboring. You ought to support the weak. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he said, it is more blessed to give than receive. I'll tell you this for sure. I would have never told you this before because throughout most of my life, I will tell you, I was more of a selfish person. Anybody else in here? I would have even been glad to say, hey, I'm the getter. Get out of my way because I'm the getter. I'm going to look out for me and I'm going to look out for this. Man, that life was a struggle as a Christian. He tells us if we become focused on his purpose of giving, then we won't need to keep worrying about our getting. We will actually begin to have a better feeling and desire to give them than to get. Let let me put this in perspective. This is what real love does, and I'll I'll end with this. You know, I never could imagine as a kid how good it felt to to give as opposed to get. I wanted to get, right? My nature, my mentality wanted to get. Anybody else as a child wanting to get? Hey, can I have this, right? So I wanted to get that. But listen, once I experienced the true love that a, a parent has for a child, and I see my children, Do you realize I have more joy out of giving than I do getting? I think about it and anticipate, hey, they're going to love this. I can't wait to give this. It's going to make them happy, and I can't wait to do this for them. Anybody got that as a parent, right? And I love them, and I can't wait for them to have that. Well, Dad, what do you want? Oh, just don't worry about it. Don't get me anything, right? Because it's not my agenda. Don't get me anything, right? Just just why? Because you have to understand, this true love makes me want to give. Well, in the same parent-child application with the true love, if a true love is there for the Lord Jesus Christ, and a true love is exemplified the love that he gave you, that true love lets you be able to give your service to God or serve someone else or do something and you feel better about that than if you would have gotten something. Right? Jesus said it is more blessed to give than receive. What God wants us to give is our service to him. He wants us to be his servant. What is our job? To give ourselves to his cause. What is his cause? To give himself to us. He wants us to give ourselves to others so others can see him through us and call them to give themselves to the next people. That is the process of givers and getters. If you and I don't move from getters to givers, not only will it wreck your marriage, not only will it wreck your home, not only will it wreck your environment, not only will it wreck your workplace, not only will it wreck your school environment, your group of friends, your neighbors, your intermediate family, your extended family, it will wreck society as a whole. Have you seen it happen? What does God call you to be? Giver. And if you're a giver, what does he assure you that you're going to be? Jesus gave us an example. If you're here today and you've never accepted the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, he wants to give you something. He wants you to be a getter. But he requires you to give him the trust that you have in your heart that he is who he says he is. The belief he expects you. He expects you to give him your belief. He expects you to give him your apology to say, Lord God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. He expects you to give him this agreeing to his covenant. Be my Lord and Savior. I will serve you. And once you give him that, you will get salvation. After that, 
He'll have you at the table. He'll keep you at the table. But then he'll expect you at some point to get up from a place of getting and start doing what? Giving. And here's the thing. You'll feel better about your giving than you ever did about your getting. Right? Christians, where are you at? Can you be a better giver? Do you need that strength? Do you realize something God's shown you today? If you do, come and talk to him. If you realize the joy of giving and seeing him bless you, come and praise him today. Use this time of invitation to make sure you're right with God. Father God, I love you. I praise you and I thank you for who you are and I praise you for your message today. I pray, God, that as we've looked at givers and getters, I pray, God, that you would show us ourselves, And, Lord, I pray that you would put a repentant spirit upon this place if we see ourselves, Lord, as habitual getters. And we're stopping the process of those around us. Lord, I praise the cries of repentance go out today, Lord, that you would restore us and give us strength, Lord, to recognize it. I pray, God, for any that are here that have never accepted Lord, they've never accepted your son Jesus as Savior. They've never been a getter of that. I pray, God, that you would compel them to, to give, Lord, their confession, their plea for forgiveness, their plea for salvation. I pray, God, that you compel them to give that today. I pray, Lord, this we have this time of invitation. Your spirit moves upon this place. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.